0: Picture the scene, it's 1996, I'm 10 years old, I'm sat in a caravan with my mum, dad and brother and we see Michael Johnson break the 200 metre world record at the Olympic Games but Johnson wasn't the fastest man we saw on our portable TV that week it was PC Steve Loxton, the master of the Bill car chases and for my 10 year old self, the coolest guy on TV Two decades later, I'm even more of a fan as my adult self can truly appreciate the outstanding performance of my special guest today. Tom Butcher, welcome to The Bill Podcast.
1: Thank you for that marvellous introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I I hope I can live up to it.
0: Oh, you will. This is, I think, it's the 25th interview I've recorded, but that intro was the first one I ever wrote because... Both times I've tried to get you on before. You were on tour and your latest role on tour, for which you've earned some marvellous notices, was as Henry II in The Lion in Winter in, in Frankfurt. Is that right? Uh,
1: that is right, yes. I came back from that in October. I was out there for two months playing a, a cracking part in a cracking play in a cracking theatre with a cracking cast. And uh, off you go, yeah.
0: I mean, you were the lead with a young cast. And I, I, I wondered... What are the common questions that younger actors ask you? Do, do you get asked for a lot of advice? Um,
1: sometimes they say, "Are you really going to do it like that?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Everyone's everyone's struggling to get on with uh, how how they uh, are going to approach things. Uh, what do young people ask? I oh, know. Do you want to come to the pub? Uh, <laughs> do you want to come clubbing tonight? We're up till four. What do you think? <laughs> And I generally say, oh, actually, well, it's funny. It was a bit of a watershed job, really, because I I think I realised for the first time that I wasn't part of the younger part of the cast anymore because they they did want to stay out and party hard, and I just wasn't interested in all that kind of thing. Oh, wow. Um, And and it's all, actually, because the, the, the role of father who didn't actually get on with his family and all the kids hanging out together and fighting amongst themselves, it all... I don't know, life, art, art, life.
0: Do you look at those younger actors and and can you, how different is it for them than it was for you when you were starting out in the industry? Do you think it's harder or, or easier for them with technology?
1: I really don't know. When I entered the business, the change that was underway at that time seemed to be the death of rep. And it was increasingly difficult to find yourself a season where you would um spend a lot of time with a a company of actors accumulating skills and learning your craft it was always it seemed to be one-off job here and then a one-off job there and very short contracts Mm -hmm. um which was it seemed to be a very different way of going about things but young actors i don't know i i think uh I don't think, it, uh, I don't know. Well, I'm not a young actor anymore, so I, I can't really <laughs> tell. They, I mean, they were just getting on with it. Everyone just gets on with it as mm. best they can. And you can, you can see people who are coming at it from an angle that you can appreciate. Mm. And uh, there were lots of very good angles from the young uh, cast that I was with. So it's always nice when you're in a company where you've got people working from good angles.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. When, when did you first get the acting bug?
1: Uh, I think I first got the acting bug at school. I was a sort of an unruly child. I think uh, there was a lot of it was a chaotic house I grew up in, and uh, an English teacher sort of noticed something about me and thought it would be good for me to uh, go into a play. And I was *Poins*, King Henry the Fourth, Part One, aged I think fifteen. Wow! And. It was the one thing that it really sort of lit me up because I was a a sort of reluctant student at that age and I didn't really enjoy going to school that much, but turning up to school after everyone had gone home to do rehearsals was something I willingly went back to do and I loved it a bit and it... it, uh, you know literally got people you know applauding me at the end of it so I thought you know what's not to like here yeah I, I, I just love that exploration of what what makes people tick why do they do this mm. and just rehearsing because I had a a sort of ruminatory mind anyway I was I was given to thinking things over and over again so that's you rehearsals fine I could get to do things over and over and over again and try and make it better and, Repeat things, and, and that suited my the way my mind worked. Yeah, uh, and and it, and I wasn't ruminating on you know you know what's going wrong with my life. Woe is me? I was a very where is me teenager, as a lot of teenagers can be, trying to figure out what's going on in the world. Mm. But this, I think, that's what the English teacher saw in me. He saw something that would uh, give me a focus, and mm. um, it was good for me. And and I did several school plays after that. And, and, and it just progressed. And I did actually have a light bulb moment when the time came for me to decide what I wanted to do for my career. I I hadn't got the results that I hoped for at my school. So I I thought, you know, what am I going to do now? I asked my dad to, uh, if I could retake my A-levels at the local tech college. And I went back to into education for two years and I did a couple of plays there with them. And I was coming out of rehearsals, and it was winter. It was about six o'clock, and I stopped underneath a street lamp. And it just occurred to me suddenly that I might be able to do this for a living. Yeah. Oh. You know, what, what, if I, what if I could do this? Because we were having career conversations at that kind of time as well. Yeah, that, and I suddenly realised I was under a, a street lamp. And I thought, gosh, this really is my little light bulb moment. Yeah, lamp
0: moment. oh, I love that. That's marvellous. Yeah. Uh, uh, were your family supportive of your decision
1: I think they were just happy that I had found something to which I was happy to apply myself Mm. to be quite honest my original idea was to do law and French and anthropology my dad was a solicitor and uh, I loved French and anthropology fitted with my idea of trying to figure out why people were the way they were and what made them do the things they did Mm. and so I thought, being a French anthropologist with a, a legal mind, there was always there was always you know, something to be going on with. I thought, mm. but then acting, I thought, no, law, oh, oh goodness me, you have to keep up with it, don't you? Yeah, it keeps changing. But uh, human behaviour hasn't changed in a billion years or however long we've been here, and it won't change. You just have to uh, you know, get to the bottom of it if you can. Don't think you ever will, though. But...
0: Did you have any inspirations as you were growing up that you thought, oh, I'd love to I'd love to be like them or I'd love to work with them?
1: A lot of the people that I admired were black and white, mm. as in the colour of the movies, because we only had a black and white telly for a long time. And uh, Paol, actors, for me, always appeared in tuxedos, mm. dinner jackets and bow ties, <laughs> and spoke, spoke very well. Well, So as a teenager, I, I would I would get into my tuxedo at the drop of a hat and pretend to be you know, uh, Niven, David Niven. I, I fancied myself as David Niven and Clary Grant and all these all these huge stars. Uh, I had a lively imagination and um, Richard Richard Burton obviously and, and uh, Olivier and all
0: all those
1: uh, Peter O'Toole. Everybody. I can't remember them all. Their names just go through me, but I can (laughs) see their faces.
0: Yeah. Um, So uh, what happened next? Where did you train and and, and what what was your training? What did you have to do?
1: Uh, I trained at the Manchester Polytechnic School of Theatre, which was then in a large building in Didsbury, in Manchester, South Manchester, uh, which used to be a TV studio's. Um, and we had an enormous fly tower, uh, a huge floor with a seating block. We moved around, so it was a very versatile space. And there were also radio studios there and TV studios. So there was a TV course in the same building. And wow. um, so we were able to be camera fodder for the TV course people. And we also got experience in front of cameras, which was a rare thing at, at uh, school, I understand. Uh, what did we do? We did classes. We were we were trees. We learned scripts. And the first year, we were sort of slaves for the third years. And we produced, well, not produced their shows, but we did the stage management of their shows. And uh, you know what? It's a bit of a blur.
2: To be quite
1: <laughs> we had lots of fun. There was the Parswood Hotel, which is a pub, was across the road. <laughs> and we did a lot of research in there about <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Yeah,
0: w- Were you still living at home or were you in digs?
1: No, I I left home to mm. go to Manchester, mm. um, which is part of the education process. And I got a grant mm. from the government and uh, I had my accommodation paid for by the state. Brilliant. So, uh, yes, and I didn't leave with £30,000 plus of debt to yeah. pay back, which was you know, that's a godsend now, is yeah. but
0: Oh, yeah. I don't know how
1: people cope nowadays.
0: No. Well, Steve Loxton wasn't your first copper on telly. I, I, and I think your yeah. first ever telly was, was a Coronation Street in 1988. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. What, what are your memories of that?
1: My memories of that are uh, essentially I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> absolutely terrified. It was Coronation Street, which is... A big show mm. and I thought so many people are going to be watching this and there I was I think someone had had the takings stolen from them um, at some point point. and uh, there I was a policeman by someone's hospital bed and I had a notepad in my hand and I was holding it in such a way that it, it registered every single little tremor and oh. I was shaking like a leaf, and this notepad was bouncing all over the place. And I didn't have the presence of mind to keep hold of the flap oh. that um, was was shaking. And I I, I don't know. That's that's what I remember. I've never seen the footage.
0: I think it was Roy Barraclough who had been. Most... Yes, it
1: was Roy Barraclough.
0: Yeah, yes. yeah.
1: <laughs> have you seen that? No, I, I
0: I the the episodes either side are on YouTube, but yours isn't. And I was like, oh, so close, but. Oh. Uh, yeah, that's
1: intriguing. I wonder what happened there. I
0: because I, I think they've <laughs> been um, I think they've been repeated on either ITV three or four sort of in the last on, at the end of the last year. I think they're doing Emmerdale at the minute, but yeah, they've they've been raiding the archives a bit. So hopefully, wow. they'll do the same with the Bill on ITV, uh, which would be nice.
1: Well, I understand they did, but I was, I was speaking to some uh, some colleagues of mine, and apparently the the bits that uh, I did, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't remember who it was I was speaking to you now. But there's been some kind of hoo-ha about payments and monies, and so they've they've cut a huge chunk out that they're not repeating. Yeah, and it just happens to be the bits that I'm in. Yeah, so, um, no, no
0: <laughs> that's right, because they 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 started showing like you know the John Salt House years. I think I'm right, in this, uh, And Equity wanted huh? to negotiate proper fees for you, and the drama channel's answer was just to show everything they already had the rights to show and so yeah they skipped 1990 to 98 so yeah your entire run they just skipped and so there's still a lot of upset fans did that nervous police officer on coronation street help you get the part of steve was that instrumental how did how were you cast as steve lopston
1: well, to answer the first part of that question, no. Because I think <laughs> if they'd looked that, uh, they'd have uh, thought it
0: This doesn't look good.
1: <laughs> so to answer the second part, I was working at the Royal Exchange in Manchester. Uh, I hadn't worked for a while and Sophie Marshall, who was then responsible for casting actors or bringing actors in, had asked if I would be the bellhop in Born Yesterday that they were producing. It's a very, very short part, but it got me back into the way of being in a theatre company, and I was very grateful to her for that, Mm. because uh, she could have given that to anybody. And one of the other cast members with uh, us on that show was George Sweeney, Ah. who I was having a little chat with him, and he said, "Um, you'd be good on the bill. Uh, You should write to the bloke there, Julian Oldfield, just write to him. He'll respond quite well to that, I'm sure. So uh, on the advice of George Serrini, I I wrote a letter to Julian Oldfield to say who I was and what I was doing. And he responded. And uh, the ball started rolling and I I had some meetings. They were encouraging and I felt very encouraging. Tony Vodo was a great support. He uh, uh, batted for me. I think Pat Sands as well. And um, I'm sure other people were because they, they offered me the job in the end. Yeah, I think that it did come out of uh, that initial um, letter that I wrote off. So Fantastic. I feel encouraged by that.
0: And how on your radar was the series? Had you seen much of it?
1: I, was, I must have known about it because I knew what George Shreddy was talking about <laughs> when, when he said, you, know, you must check that out. I don't know, actually. I don't know. I think I was I, just coming out of drama school. The idea was that uh, you went into theatre for some reason. Theatre was the the main focus, mm. and uh, you have these ideas of, uh, you know, performance, and television featured quite, you know, it wasn't big, but um, I know after, after you've been out for a while, you think, oh, I need, I need to find some work, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thought regular work would be quite nice, and regular work that you got paid quite well for would also be quite yeah. good. <laughs> So it quickly dawned on me that this would be quite a good idea <laughs> and the great thing the great thing was by the time I I was offered the job on the bill I had another job offer on families oh wow which was that show that was sort of half australia half
0: yeah granada yeah
1: yeah that's right and uh, i remember wondering which way i should go and i asked uh, the people and families. Does my character go to Australia? Am <laughs> I actually go there? <laughs> and they said, No, no, we'll be shooting all your stuff in the, in the UK. And I thought, Oh right, okay. <laughs> and that sort of that, that did for me a bit. <laughs> and generally, I mean, also, the bill had a a, a a reputation that existed already in families was a new venture mm. um, at that time that hadn't really established itself, in, as far as I recall. So. No. It seemed to be the right choice to go with the bill, absolutely.
0: I, I think it was. It's, I think it worked mm. out. Uh, yeah, yeah, it uh, What appealed to you about playing Steve and how well-defined was the character at the beginning?
1: At the beginning, I got the impression he wasn't very well-defined because uh, there was a time when he didn't even have a name. And I remember being at a costume fitting in uh, Merton, and seeing a, a photograph that they'd taken of me and it just had PC Nasty written <laughs> under it. And I thought, okay, well there's my there's my starter for ten. <laughs> um, but I, I I do get the impression he was always meant to be a bit of a a bit of a live wire sort of shoot first and ask questions later sort of character. He was he was designed to sort of ruffle feathers a bit.
2: Yeah. But
1: um I, I always liked the idea that he was. I mean, the fans wrote to me to reassure me that uh, I wasn't bad, I was just misunderstood, which I thought was very kind of <laughs> <laughs> and, uh I thought it was, it was quite touching to see that people were that engaged with him.
2: Mm.
1: So he didn't bother, bother to write in and uh, reassure me about that. So that
0: was quite nice. Wait, uh, well, I'm guessing that means you, you didn't play him as bad, you didn't see him as bad.
1: Well, no, because the thing is, if you if you start playing a character as bad, you, you is, um, I don't know, you can get yourself into all kinds of trouble. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't see him as bad. Um, that's an interesting question. I've never really thought about it like that. Yes, misunderstood. I think he just thought he was getting in there and sorting things out. But the book to him was was a bit of an obstacle. And this was at the time when pace was uh, uh, being revised and. You know, ever since the seventies, the police service has changed radically and been exposed and become a lot more transparent. And people were rather shocked at what they found under the bonnet when they took the lid up. Mm. I think. And uh, there was a lot of yes, there was a lot of uh, pace work going on when I joined. It was in the news a lot.
0: And, and did they give you much in the way of police training? Did you go out and were beat with any real coppers or anything like that?
1: Uh, I went out in a uh, response vehicle, fast response vehicle. I can't remember, I think that's what they were called. Uh, yes, yeah, so I went out one evening and the guy said, all right, let's put the music on, which was their blues and twos. <laughs> and uh, we went very fast for uh, quite a while around the streets of London to the point where I actually began to feel a little bit sick yeah. with all the movement of it all. And I thought, goodness me, uh, this really is something you know this is the real (laughs) side of it and of course when we're on filming we're imagining the whole thing but i thought i just really wouldn't like to do this for real Mm. not at all i mean and also dealing with the the general public who are generally in a, a state of not wanting to talk to you about anything in particular um whereas you know when we're on the streets filming the general public are quite curious and interested and obviously we're not arresting them so they're not hostile
0: no (laughs) but Steve as a character for me was like the, the ultimate sticking two fingers up to the top brass you know you you had some great battles with the likes of Eric Richard and Peter Ellis and how much were you learning off those guys and how satisfied are you that and I can assure you that this is the case you consistently gave a brilliant performance back at them what are your memories of working with these established names that've been doing the show for a decade?
1: Uh, I thought it was a great honour to be working with a team with such expertise all over the place. Every department in that building uh, just had expertise of every kind, and um, it was a it was a yeah a great opportunity to learn everything about everything to do with cameras and microphones and hitting marks and Mm. fantastic. I mean, it was quite intimidating at times because these people, I actually know answer to a question you asked ages ago, was the bill on my radar? It must have been because some of these characters I'd seen them before. And I remember one of my early scenes with, with uh, Chris Ellison, who I found quite intimidating because he's a very um, uh, robust and present sort of character in the show. Mm. And, uh, just for a laugh, one day uh, on one of my early scenes, uh, I had to bring in a, a document into his office and say, I've yeah, go got this, the you know, turning camera action. So if I walked up the corridor, I handed over this folder and he turned to me and he had his eyes closed. <laughs> and on his eyelids, he had written entirely writing, fuck off. <laughs> and uh, I I didn't quite know where to put myself I realised really quickly this was some kind of Mary JP was playing and uh, it was great fun I thought well what a great figure! You thought I could handle that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that that broke the ice. Yeah, that's
0: brilliant. That's gold dust. <laughs> yeah, it,
1: it was brilliant. <laughs> and I thanked him for that. And and that was the sort of atmosphere we were working in. It was, uh, mm. you know, it, there was a lot of a lot of respect uh, I had for them because they they knew exactly what they were doing and they did it really well. Yeah. But I, you know, you learn from that. And when you're in that environment, it pushes you to. You know, push yourself.
0: Well, who became um, your like main pals from the cast, and 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 how sociable were you all together?
1: Oh wow, yeah. How do you <laughs> answer that question? <laughs> I remember a lot of laughter on set, and I'm not sure whether that was nervous <laughs> laughter <laughs> or or whether we were just having fun. It's funny, I was listening to Joe Dow's podcast the other day and he, he mentioned me and I was I was just wondering if he makes I remember just laughing helplessly <laughs> uh, a, a lot with Joe. I shared a dressing room with Hugh Higginson and I'm still uh, in touch with him. he's oh. uh, a lovely chap he's in Australia now. Uh, Steve Beckett I went on holiday with oh, um, wow. after, after the show and we, we sort of jaked around. Andrew Paul, well, Steve Beckett, Andrew Paul, Hugh... Alan Westaway, Yeah, we'd all played po- poker for real money at oh. And that was a mistake because they always robbed me. I, I got to the point where I just thought I'm able to just post them some money every day just to get the card. <laughs> no, but anyway, I, I enjoyed um, an Andrea, of course, who I'd recently bumped into around the common, I'd lost touch with a bit. and I, I met her for a coffee and that sort of the other day. And she told me about this podcast and that's why I'm doing this now.
0: Bless you, yeah. Yeah, I, I think Joe said that you were perhaps a bit lively off camera. What, what do you think he meant by that?
1: I've Yes, there's always been a little bit of an unruly <laughs> child in me. Um, I, yes, we did like to have a drink in the pub. Mm. And uh, we like to party and enjoy ourselves. Yeah, we just had to laugh, really, a lot of the time. Because, I don't know, we were young men and we had jobs and we were in a show that was doing really well and we loved what we were doing and we were in an environment that was a great environment to be in. and I don't know, we just laughed a lot, had yeah. lots of fun. Well,
0: it must yeah. have been an awesome time in your life. You're a young man and you're, you're in... Well, people forget that at the time the bill was getting more viewing figures than EastEnders, you know. It, it was often the top-rated show of the week, and, and to me, you, you guys were in it um, in the glory days of the show, the, the gold dust era, I call it, you know. It must have been very satisfying being part of a hit.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely it was, yes. yes, And what I liked, it, it put me in mind of a, of a thing called a play for today that I remember I used to love watching because it was self-contained all in in one place. And what I thought of differently about the bill was that there were these self-contained stories and we weren't soap in that we weren't looking at all the love affairs that the characters were having. We were looking at the work they were doing. Mm. And I think that was definitely down to Michael Chapman who who decided that that was the way he wanted the program to be. And I understand there was a a brief that he, he wanted as few trees as possible that each shot had to be either of one of the main police characters or it had to be their point of view. So mm-hmm. you would never go off into someone, someone's house and have shots of people that weren't either regulars or the regulars weren't there. Mm-hmm. He liked a lot of concrete to create atmosphere. You probably know more about this than I do. I don't yeah. know what the, <laughs> the director's pack involved, but I, I think he went to great lengths to create this uh, atmosphere of police work mm. rather than their personal lives in this self-contained half-hour unit. Yeah, It was a challenge for the writers as, as much as anybody else, I think.
0: And there was a lot of concrete in your very first episode because it was set at a football stadium. I don't know how much you remember of that.
1: I remember Graham Cole looking after me very well oh. because he he could see that I was probably very, very, very nervous and uh, he just said some uh, calming words to me, which for which I was very grateful. So thank you, Graham, if you ever hear this. Yeah, yeah terrified, I think. But I remember, yes, we were at the walkway into the, the tunnel. Yeah. And uh, that's always the way, isn't it, Sarge? I think it was my line.
0: <laughs> that's right. And and yeah. it was a nice... Uh, I think as often with the best characters, they they did a kind of slow burn. They let you ease in. And then suddenly, like not long, like Series 7... All the opening episodes of Series 7 are are very Loxton heavy, and and one of them is called The Chase, and it's a great car chase. You and Jeff Stewart are in hot pursuit of a car, and you end up smashing into a pedestrian vehicle. I mean, but considering you said you felt sick in the real cop car, you always look, you handle the vehicle scenes really well. I mean, that's, you know, my 10-year-old self always thought you looked the coolest in the car, you know? How were you actually on the inside? and Because you looked like you did a lot of the driving yourself.
1: Um, I was very fortunate. I was allowed to do a lot of the driving myself, mm. to be quite honest. I was um, quite surprised. I think health and safety these days wouldn't, wouldn't let that happen mm. um, anymore. But uh, it's one thing being a passenger, and I, I think uh, feeling sick, but when you've actually got your hands on the wheel and you know what the car's going to do, well, hopefully you know what the car's <laughs> going to do. Yeah, it's. Uh, no, I say I did enjoy very much doing the driving, mm. and I was allowed to do a lot of the driving myself. Even to the point that sometimes we had these things called up and pasts, where the camera would be a very long way away from the car, and we'd put the blue lights on and just enter into the flow of traffic. They wouldn't hold up the traffic, and traffic would move out of your way, and you'd find a gap. And wow. you'd think, goodness is this allowed?
2: <laughs>
1: and uh, I was actually one time pulled over by a, a real police car who oh. asked me what the hell I was doing. <laughs> uh, maybe, I don't know whether that was set up or not, but uh, they, uh, I said, it's an up and pass. We're, we're not real, obviously. <laughs>
0: Yeah, (laughs) Well, to me, the the greatest ever episode of The Bill is The Shortest Straw, which was Nuala Conwell's exit episode. And you and Trudy share what, for my money, is the finest car chase The Bill ever had.
1: Gosh, what's that one called? I've completely forgotten about
0: (laughs) it. Oh, yeah, it's called The (laughs) the Shortest Straw, and um, it's on YouTube, and the, the clip is called loxton and ackland nail viv's killers <laughs> Goodness
1: gracious, man. it's a brilliant oh, wow.
0: scene and it, it's a great loxton moment and you smash it you deliver the good so that's definitely give yourself a pat on the back when you watch that later because it makes it always makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up it's a brilliant car chase
1: wow yeah. Yeah, I, might, I might better go, but well, thank you very much for those <laughs> lovely words. Oh, it's a
0: pleasure. <laughs> well, that's one half of it. You know, it's one reason why I, I admire you so much. But let's talk about the acting because, I mean, it's some of the, and I mean it sincerely, your performance, some of the very, very best acting in the Bill's rich history and, and an episode which fans all rave about your performance in this. It's a, an episode called All the King's Horses. Oh, yeah, yeah, so I for me, what is special, not just your performance, but the fact that, you know, there's dozens of actors and extras and children and crashed vehicles and special effects. And you're right at the centre of all that. I mean, how much pressure is there on you to do your job and contribute that performance?
1: It's imagination. It's focus, I suppose. Focus and imagination. Yeah, uh, how do you? I mean, that is your job, and that, that's that's what you want to do. It's uh, it's pretending, mm. and you just you just believe it, and uh, and throw yourself at it 100 percent. Because sometimes if it, it, sometimes it does seem daunting, and you think, well, you know, come five o'clock. It'll be in the can, so better make sure it's the right <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> because uh, you know the end of the day will come, and either it's in there and it's right, or it's whatever. It's, I know you just have to throw yourself in at it. Mm. But it was—it was lovely writing. It's beautifully written and so expertly put together. And you've got all these people supporting you all the way. I mean, how can you not uh, get into the uh, the atmosphere of it? Mm. It's a lot of it done for you before you even arrive, really.
0: Well, um,
1: well, you, I mean, yes, I mean, you're, you, you have to you have to be the piece of the jigsaw that fits in all the right places. Yeah. Um, but that's that's why you went to drama school and that's why you wrote to Julian Oldfield and that's why you woke up in the morning.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because
1: that's what you're there for. That, that's, that's, you know, you're, you are living your dreams. Mm. You know, this is what you wanted to do. So get on and do it. Have a ball, you know. Yeah. Focus and focus and throw yourself in there.
0: And how about yeah. the the other side of the coin? What what you guys have to I mean your life changes, doesn't it? You know, seventeen million people watched that Nula's last episode, for example, and you yeah. you're recognized presumably going to the supermarket, going to a shop, that all changes. The moment you're in a hit.
1: Yeah, I, re- I remember there was one bloke stopped me outside the post office and kind of had a little go at me for being so scruffy because oh. <laughs> he said, You're on telly, can't you afford proper clothes? I was never a fashion victim. <laughs> um, yes, I think the great thing I've heard people say about being known is that uh, being on telly is people know. People know you. And the terrible thing about being on television, is people know you. So um, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, uh, before, I mean, er, early on, I, I thought it was terribly exciting. But later on, it did it did make me quite anxious. I, I My levels of anxiety went up a bit because I was never quite sure whether people thought that I was Loxton or, I mean, they wouldn't know who I was because I'd never met them before. And I always thought if people were thinking I'm Loxton, maybe they want to have a go at me in some way or other. And um, I I sort of, um, I didn't help myself with that kind of thinking, but I I remember that sort of thinking being there. Um, But generally, when I look back on it, the public, you know, they're just curious, they want to know. And they they have conversations just within earshot, which are just loud enough for you to hear, because they want you to hear and let them know that, yes, it is me or it isn't me or... But uh, it is odd to be looked at, and I, and I, I haven't had it in any way that people get it these days. I mean, I've, it drives people crazy. I think the kind of scrutiny that you get. Yeah, no, I, I like I like uh, being a private person. So that that was an education for me.
0: Mm. After seven years, was it your decision to move on?
1: Uh, I think it was. Yes. No, I think it was. I know it was. <laughs> I thought I'm I'm wearing a police uniform more than I am my own clothes. That's what it felt like, and I thought I'm I'm more, I'm more him than me, yeah. and I I wasn't quite right in my own head. I think I needed to get away from it and have a break. I think I'd absorbed too much of it, and I was taking it too seriously, or I don't know something wasn't quite going right for me. Um, and I also I, I thought maybe it's time because I didn't have a family and I don't have children, so. I thought I owe it to myself to, if I am traveling light in that respect, to go off and see if there's anything else that I, I can do, because I've, I've got a bit of a, I felt as though I had a bit of a head start really, and I, I'd had a big leg up, and uh, I bought my flat, um, and so I felt this, this felt a bit like an ideal opportunity to uh, launch myself into the world, um, so that's what I did.
0: And where, 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 where did you
1: go? Where did your journey take you? <laughs> well, the first, first thing I did was shave my head because I left at the same time as Steve Beckett. And we, we both went into makeup after our last uh, shot and shaved our head so that um, we wouldn't be recalled next week for reshoots because <laughs> <laughs> we didn't want that. So, but also just to mark the occasion, and I think the newspapers took a picture of us with our with our heads shaved and with big smiles on our faces, trying to hide the panic. <laughs> um and then we went to India on holiday, um, which was fun, and and then not a lot happened for me because uh, I had some, some opportunities in theatre that I, I I sort of missed out on really just through fear. I hadn't, I hadn't done theatre for such a long time, and I'd been so used to cameras and hitting marks and doing things in that particular way that I'd sort of forgotten how to do theatre or even how to approach working in theatre. So I I sort of seized up a little bit um, for a while after I left the bill, which I'm sure isn't uncommon. Uh, And then Mike Lunny from Middle Ground Theatre Company rescued me and put me in uh, his production of Dialogue for Murder and, and it all started off from there. And uh, I've done a lots of work with him, and uh, I'm very grateful to him for taking me on and yeah. giving me that opportunity. And, I mean, in
0: 1999, you did six different tellies, which is a, a feat for any actor. Um, one of them was a return to the bill. They, they did invite you back. Ah, um, yes, they did. Yeah. Which, which is nice, because <laughs> not, not everyone... Not everyone gets to go back, you know, and and, uh, what was that like? Because the format had also changed then. It was more about the personal lives and your best man at Dave Quinnen's wedding. And, you know, uh, it was... um, And a a different Steve we saw as well. So it was nice that finally we got to see the breakdown, you know, that he didn't have the fast cars anymore, you know. He was... Mm. um, yeah, that lovely human performance you give on the on the riverside, you know, it's great that they gave you that opportunity to visit that side of the character that not a lot of other cast members have had.
1: No, I, I suppose um, I suppose that was a great opportunity. Yes, it was lovely to be back and work with the uh, with the old chums, yeah, uh, and the new chums, obviously as well. It's funny, I've forgotten so much about all of this. It's almost it's as though it happened to someone else, but I, I, I know it happened to me um, because I've got pictures of it. <laughs> but uh, it does feel such a long way away. Uh, I don't actually rem- remember what happened in that return, did it? What was that? It was that, Dave Quinnens.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, it was. Um, but you're yeah. all on a boat. You all go and have his sort of wedding on a on a boat, but, but Steve is a little um a little breakdown. I think it's with Andrew Paul and Hugh on the on the. I think it's on the pebbles and the tides gone down in the river. And uh, yeah, you just explain that you know you you're not allowed to drive the fast cars anymore, and uh, you know you don't know who you are anymore, you know. And it's it's a really lovely performance.
1: Oh wow! No, you see, I th- I th- I thought that was in the pub afterwards. That was that- they actually recorded that broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. okay you nice, art life oh my goodness me. <laughs>
0: oh well I mean but I mean you know you made over 450 episodes of the bill which is yeah pretty incredible you followed it up by making over 450 episodes of doctors now that's quite a feat you know that's a lot of telly yes.
1: Yes, yes. I've I've probably done a lifetime's worth of telly <laughs> yeah. as far as the acting career goes. And I, I love working with cameras and uh hitting marks and microphones and, and stuff. The 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 precision involved and just the jigsaw way that it, it happens. Um it appeals to my sense of chaos, sort of making order out of chaos. Because uh I, I'm a I'm a slightly chaotic thinker, but um it, it's it's uh, a great joy to uh, find order in that, and uh, it's a great joy if you can. I don't know, it just gives you something to really get a hold of um, with, with uh, telly. I like it. And when I actually started on doctors, working at Pebble Mill, which for me had a, a status all of its own, as I'd heard of Pebble Mill and I watched Pebble Mill at one in my. Um, you know lunch times. Uh, I thought, wow, I'm working at Pebble Mill, and I, I saw the set, and I walked onto the set, and I really had this feeling that I was home.
0: Oh!
1: It felt like such a, a lovely place to be on a on a set. I so loved it.
0: You know, an even lovelier, meeting Corin, and you know that's that's you know.
1: Well, yes, yeah, so the beginning of a long and fruitful adventure.
0: There's plenty of fans out there who who would love to see what happens next after your officer and a gentleman finale, you know, there's <laughs> plenty of fans who'd, uh, you know, love to see you both back. Is that something you've ever discussed? And, and would, would you be intrigued? To...
1: It was a great team to work in. I, mean, I had a great time there as well. And mm, mm. um, I, I can't rule out ever going back. I think Colin would be interested to go back. She enjoyed it very much indeed. And she, uh, and um, she'd be happy to. And if they want to they ask me, I mean, I'd be foolish to say no, I think.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but they haven't asked me.
0: <laughs> well, not yet. Not yet. Who knows? You not know. yet.
1: Well, you never know. You never know.
0: Uh, now, two very recent short films you've made, which uh, Corin also shared one of them on on Twitter, but two monologue pieces written by Carl oh, Chetty. These are brilliant, yes. uh, and if anyone listening to this hasn't seen them, one is called Bachelor Boy, and the other is Sleeper. And I urge anyone listening to this to check them out because they're single take, seven to eight minute monologues which which you smash, and there's a few twists and turns along the way. I mean, they're joyful. How 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 did they come along, and uh...
1: how did that come about? You know, I can't actually remember how I first came across Cardshifting. I think I got an email from him, and he uh, he approached people. He approached me as he as he does approach people in his way, and he presented this script. and I looked at it, and I thought, oh gosh, yes, that's a I I just like the way it was put together. Mm-hmm. I thought he put together a a really nice um, set of words, and they made sense. and Learning it was quite easy because the thoughts that held all the words together were consistent all the way through. And a lot of the times I'm, I'm sort of learning thoughts as much as I'm learning words. Mm. And uh, if the thoughts roll on from one another, the words kind of make sense. They sort of come to you. You, don't, you don't to, I don't know. It's an odd thing to explain. But the way, the way he put those words together made them quite easy to learn. And I was quite surprised myself at being able to get through them all in one take. Because we did say there were other people there. Okay, you know, stop. And only people do people stop and start and stop and start and stop and start. Yes, it's always it's always great when you can have a a run at something and it actually works.
0: Yeah. What's the future hold for you? Any unfulfilled ambitions? Any shows you'd like to add to your resume in particular?
1: I don't know whether the shows that I'm going to be a part of in the future have been written yet. or whether they're just about to uh, take me on. Mm. But no, I'm, I'm not finished yet.
0: We're all so grateful to you for, for sharing your memories today. And something that we like to do is is to ask you to nominate a charity that the listeners of this can support. So is there anything that's particularly close to your heart that people can donate a couple of quid to?
1: You know, the one that comes to mind is mind. I think mind is a good thing to uh, be aware of.
0: What is your message to fans of The Bill, to fans of Steve Loxton who are still enjoying your work.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to bring pleasure to you. If there's something you can do in your life, if you can put a smile on someone's face or, you know, give them something to feel good about, then I've, my work here is done.
0: Hello, this is Andrea Mason. You've been listening to The Bill Podcast with special thanks to Tom Butcher, produced and presented by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Paul Dunn and Alex Mockler. Executive produced by Joseph Beaver, Daniel Christopher, Luke Hegarty, Chris Horner, Edward Kellett, Justin Pitt and Tom Sherrington. Visit mind.org.uk to find out how you can help.